Well, we have spent five weeks looking at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's great resurrection chapter. And last week we were left with the trump of God ringing in our ears, anxiously awaiting that final blink of an eye when our earthly body will be changed into a heavenly body. Paul had lifted us to the heights of glory, and you'd think he would close his letter there. What an inspirational note to end on. But he didn't. He went right on. You know, Paul may have let his head soar into the clouds, but his feet remained firmly planted on the earth. He never got so aloof in his teaching that he became impractical. So he plunges right into what has been called the practicalities. He's already dealt with the carnalities in Corinth. And he has cleared up the nature of spirituality, so now he moves to the practicalities. And the change seems very abrupt, especially when you remember that there are no chapter divisions in uh, his letter when he wrote it. Some have even suggested that Paul must have taken a coffee break after he finished uh, writing about the resurrection. But, you know, maybe what he goes on to say was very much connected in his mind with what he had already said. So let's, let's move on into the 16th chapter. Let's see if we can't find a connection between these four verses and what he's been talking about. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save, as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Paul is talking about money. He's gone from the resurrection to the collection. Now, some find that totally unexpected. Others expect it from a preacher. You know, just, just last Sunday night, during our discussion uh, about the status of children before the Lord, I got a little bit carried away, and, and, and then I noted that that was my sermon for the evening My brother-in-law remarked almost under his breath, it's time to pass the plate. (laughs) So I guess preachers and offerings do go together. And Paul obviously wasn't afraid to talk about money. He didn't find it particularly pious to say, I only preach the gospel and let money take care of itself. He knew money was an important item of Christian concern, and he dealt with it matter-of-factly without apology. And apparently, he connected giving with always abounding in the work of the Lord, which he spoke of in the previous verse. 
So he goes right on and says, now concerning the collection for the saints. And as we see in verse 3, it was the saints, the Christians in Jerusalem, he was concerned about. There had been a severe famine in Judea, and the Christians in Jerusalem were having a hard time making it. The church in Jerusalem was financially a poor church to begin with, and the famine only made it worse. You know, many Jewish pilgrims to the holy city had become Christians and then stayed. The Christians who had anything had long ago sold it to help care for their new brothers and sisters, and now the resources were gone. Jerusalem wasn't a commercial or agricultural center, so jobs were limited. It was a religious center, primarily supported by contributions from wealthy Jews, and wealthy Jews certainly weren't going to send relief for poor Christian converts. So it was up to the church at large to help meet the needs that existed in the Jerusalem church. And Paul was very anxious to have a part in meeting that need especially since he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and the majority of his converts were Gentiles. If he could get the Gentile churches to help a primarily Jewish church, it would go a long way toward building unity in the church as a whole. So every chance he had, Paul encouraged the Gentile churches to, spend, to descend a special love offering to the church in Jerusalem, and that's what he's doing here. And in doing so, Paul has given us, I think, some excellent principles that should guide all giving in the church. Beginning with the fact that doing so is proper. Paul said, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Everywhere Paul went, he taught it was proper for Christians to give. In fact, the word translated directed can also be translated ordered or commanded. Giving isn't optional for Christians. It's part and parcel to being a Christian. It's the proper response to having received. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. If God has blessed you, you are to bless others. And since Jesus gave himself up for us, we in turn are to give ourselves up for others. In fact, the heart of Christianity is crucifying self. And it's crucifying self that frees us to give in many different ways. Evangelism is giving. Serving is giving. Exercising our spiritual gifts is giving. And parting with our money is giving. Christians are to give. And churches and preachers must be willing to talk about it. It's an important part of our life in Christ. 
It's a practical expression of gratitude for all that he's given to us. The first principle in Christian giving is simply that giving is the proper and the expected response to having received. The second is that Christian giving is to be periodic. Now, by that, I don't mean it should be intermittent. The primary meaning is at regular intervals. And Paul spells out the interval here. He says, on the first day of every week. Giving is to be systematic, regular, and tied to the Lord's Day. And this is one of the first references to the first day of the week being a special day for Christians. And interestingly, it had to do with giving. You know, Christ gave us the hope of eternal life by rising on the first day of the week. And we are to express our gratitude for that by giving on the first day of the week to enable others to have that same Besides, Christians had begun meeting together for worship and study on the first day of the week, and giving was considered an act of worship. It's not just an obligation. It's an opportunity to express thankfulness for God's blessings and should be done as a regular part of worship. When we gather together on Sundays, we receive through fellowship, intercessory prayers, communion, the exposition of God's Word. But we also give through prayers of gratitude, singing, and offerings. Giving regularly, therefore, on the first day of every week is an important act of worship. Now, I know some get paid every other week, or monthly, or even less often. And many of you give when you get paid, or on another schedule that works better for you. And I do have to admit, I really like seeing the big offerings we generally get on the first Sunday of every month. But it might be worth considering dividing your offering into several checks so you can bring a check each week and have a part in the offering every Lord's Day. It may help fill out your weekly worship experience. But whatever you decide, Christian giving is proper, is to be periodic, and is to be personal. Paul says, let each one of you. Giving is to be a personal thing, and everyone is to have the opportunity to participate in it. And I realize in most households, one person does most of the check writing. And I don't think we need to get silly about it, but it might not hurt to give thought to making sure both husband and wife feel they are being given the opportunity to give. Maybe we should take turns 
writing the check, or each one write one, or pray together when writing the check as a couple. However you do it, make sure both feel they are having a part in the act of giving. And at least make sure both know how much you're giving. And don't forget the kids. If they have a job or receive an allowance, they should be taught to give. If they don't, they should be given something each week to place in the offering. When Paul said, let each one of you, I think he meant everyone. Spouses and children should be able to participate personally in the giving of an offering and be given the opportunity to express their gratitude to God for his blessing by giving. Next we see Christian giving should be planned. Paul told the Corinthians to put aside and save. He's teaching here the need for planned, thoughtful giving. Not just as the Spirit moves or whatever I happen to have on me kind of giving. Christians are to think through their giving. They are to plan before they give. Now, most commentators feel Paul is advising the Christians to put some money in the cookie jar at home each Sunday so they'll have a substantial amount saved up when he gets there. But he later adds that he doesn't want any collections to be made when he gets there. So I think he may be suggesting that Christians save together in a common treasury. That way, when he does get there, it would be immediately available to send on to Jerusalem. But either way, Paul does make it clear that Christians should plan their giving. It shouldn't be a spur-of-the-moment thing, but something that has been thought out in advance and planned for. Not only will that assure an adequate offering, but it will help protect from questionable requests. You know, I'm sure you get personal requests from religious groups, especially if you've given directly to one. Many are honest and responsible, doing good work, and deserve support. Others, however, are religious hucksters. If you've already budgeted your offering, you're not as apt to feel the need to respond to every request that comes along. And by putting your offering into the common treasury of a local church, the elders can check out the requests and can distribute the giving in a way that assures an effective and balanced program of education, evangelism, missions, and benevolences. However you do it, the key to effective giving is planned giving. So plan before you give. Next, we know that Christian giving should be proportionate. Paul says our giving should be as we may prosper. That means our giving should be proportionate to our income. Now, the Old Testament teaches that God's people should give 10%, a tithe. 
And the tithe was practiced by men of God even before it was made part of the Mosaic Law. The New Testament, however, doesn't teach tithing as a legal requirement for Christians. We are under grace, not under the law. So God hasn't legislated how much we must give. But Paul does make it clear that our giving should be in proportion to our income. The more we have, the more we should give. And those who have the gift of giving, the the spirit-given capacity for handling money in such a way as to always have plenty to share with others, should give liberally. They shouldn't stop at 10% or any other percentage. By the same token, if you are having an extremely tough time making ends meet, and don't feel the promise of Malachi 3.10 applies to Christians, and don't see how you can give 10%, determine what percentage you can give. And start there. But make your giving proportionate to your income. And then raise the percentage as you feel led to do so. Next, I think, Paul indicates that our giving should be pressureless. <laughs> Paul says he wants no collections to be made when he gets to Corinth. Now, some have suggested that his reason for saying this was that he didn't want to be bothered with fundraising when he got there, that he just wanted to preach. But Paul was never too busy to be involved in teaching stewardship, nor too busy to raise funds for the saints in Jerusalem. I think his reason for not wanting collections made when he got there was that he didn't want his visit to be seen as a pressure tactic to get people to give. He wanted periodic, personal, planned, proportional giving, not pressured giving. I don't think he wanted the Corinthian church to get out the the six-foot thermometer and have a fundraiser when he got there. Nor did he have a bag of psychological and emotional tricks to pull on the people to get them to give. While he was concerned about raising funds for the saints in Jerusalem, he wasn't a professional fundraiser coming to town to fleece the flock. While he was there, he wanted to be careful. And I think we need to be careful, very careful, how we raise funds. It's awfully easy to sell out to the world's methods of fundraising. And in doing so, destroy the foundation of periodic, personal, planned, proportionate giving. You know, it's, it's tempting to put on a big push to raise big dollars, and a lot of churches do it. I realize that can create a lot of excitement in the church. But in the long run, I think it's counterproductive and might even be an unbiblical way for a church to operate. Lastly, we must make sure that the offerings we receive are protected. Paul made careful plans for handling the offering. He asked the church to choose responsible persons they could trust 
to take the offering to Jerusalem. And he offered to write letters of commendation for them. Or, he suggested, if possible, they could simply go with him to Jerusalem. He wanted there to be no question about the funds getting where they were supposed to go. He wanted to make certain the funds were properly accounted for and properly distributed. And that, I think, is extremely important. You know, the church has a responsibility to see to it that funds go where they are supposed to go. And that the people know where their offerings go. That's why we publish a monthly statement telling you where every dollar goes. Not every church or religious organization feels the need to do this, but we do. You know, trust is very important in relationships, and I would hope you trust me and those in positions of responsibility in the church. But accountability is also important. We must be held accountable for the funds you entrust to us. You may not agree with the need for every expenditure, but you do know where it's going. And I do hope you realize that it's not being spent without careful thought. We have an obligation to protect the offerings of God's people and to put them to their proper use. Well, there you have it. The seven P's of giving. Proper, periodic, personal, planned, proportionate, pressureless, and protected. Seven points. This wasn't even a three-point sermon. And we're getting it done in one sermon. With my apologies to all of our guests this week. <laughs> but you know, I think Paul has given us some very practical principles for Christian giving. It's proper to talk about money in the church. And proper for all Christians to give. Our giving should be periodic. It's something that should be done as an act of worship on the Lord's Day. It should be personal. Everyone should have the opportunity to give, including spouses and children. It should be planned. Something we take time to plan out, not just a spur-of-the-moment thing. It should be proportionate. It should be a certain percentage of our income, not just so many dollars. And it should be pressureless and protected. Now, if you don't like all this talk about giving, if it offends you, maybe it's because you've never been on the receiving end of the church. Maybe you've not been taught about the love of God and His sacrifice for you. Maybe you've not experienced the grace of God, at least not knowingly. And if that's true, you're not expected to give. You're not expected to give until you've received. Only then will all this make sense to you. And you'll want to give. 
So if you're uncomfortable about this matter of giving, forget about it for now. And think only about what God has to offer you. Once the impact of his offer of eternal life hits you, and you decide to accept it, then you'll be ready to surrender your all. And that will include a desire to give in a way that expresses your love for him and in a way that honors him. When that happens, you can go back and rethink 1 Corinthians 16:1-4 and make personal the principles we've been discussing. If it makes sense to you now, and you know that you need to do something about it, I would encourage you to publicly acknowledge your desire to surrender your all to him. And to then work out the details of that surrender through study, prayer, and godly counsel. We sing of surrender quite often. This morning I would invite any who have a desire to surrender to the Lordship of Christ to come and do so as we stand and sing.